Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. What's up, Bridge Church? Welcome, everybody, online. Uh, Very honored to be here with you all today. Uh, Man, it's crazy how far we've come in this last 16 months. Extremely excited for you guys to be having your reunion uh, next Sunday. Uh, We're going to steal that at Renaissance. Uh, You'll see that on social media coming up very soon. But uh, I don't know how many of you do public speaking for a living for your job, uh, depending on what you do, if you're a teacher, a professor, or whatever. But uh, I first started public speaking not as a preacher or a pastor, but as an attorney in Bronx Family Court uh, in the Bronx, right off Grand Concourse. And unknowingly, that shaped a lot of the way I communicated. I would yell at people. No, that's not what we used to do. Uh, in so many different ways, it shaped the way I communicate, really mainly because, like, when you're in family court in the Bronx, you have, like, 45 seconds to state your case before the judge cuts you off. So I got into the habit of saying the most important thing up front, hoping that people wouldn't doze off and fall asleep. And then, if they were still paying attention, I would take them on a journey with me for the next 30 minutes. Now, I remember when, my, when I first met my wife, uh, she does communications for a living, and she came to hear me preach many years ago, and she had that look in her eyes uh, about an hour after service was done. And, you know, people walk down the preacher's line, and they're nice, they're kind, you've done it before, don't act like you haven't done it, and you've, you go to the preacher, you say, oh man, that was, that was good, man, that was, yeah, that was, that was good, that was helpful, or, you know, you say something to make the preacher feel better. But uh, I knew my wife wasn't saying, she wasn't going to say something that made me feel good that day. She basically said, Jordan, like you preach like you're a lawyer, and you just tell people the most important thing up front, and then you try to back it up later, and it doesn't really work like that. Now, ever since that conversation with her, I have truly changed the way I communicate, but with her permission today, I want to make a case to you all. I want to make a case today for reparations. Now, here's the point. You're going to see this point, and it's going to make total sense socially, and I hope it makes sense for you spiritually. Here's the point for reparations. God requires repayment for every offense. God, the holy and righteous God, requires repayment for every single offense. Now, listen, reparations is a big, buzzy word these days, and a lot of people are talking about it in so many different contexts. And the reason that I want to talk about reparations is not to make you angry, right? You can go on Twitter and and be angry like in 13 seconds. You don't need me for that. Uh, But I don't think we can understand the Christian faith unless we understand reparations. So today we're going to look at some scriptures, and we're going to see this context come out into full display. And I, I really, truly do hope that at the end of today, we're going to understand what the cross is all about even more because of this concept. Now, one of the big dangers that so many Christians have is a version of Christianity, which means that, which makes them feel that they have to be a version of a Christian that is something that society would accept. 
And I've heard some of the pushback from different people in different circles to say that when you talk about reparations, all you're doing is playing the drum for people who would, uh, you know, eat that stuff up, but it really doesn't have application to what the Christian faith demands or an insight in the window to what Christianity and the gospel is all about. But truly and fully, you cannot understand Christianity without this concept of reparations. Now, this concept is even more popular because this past month, we actually commemorated 100 years since the Tulsa Race Massacre. And there are pending lawsuits right now about reparations for what has happened to people. There was a survivor of the Race Massacre, a woman, Viola Fletcher, 107 years young. Here's what she says as she spoke in front of Congress. She says, I will never forget the violence of the white mob when we left our home. I still see the black men being shot, black bodies lying in the street. I still smell the smoke and see fire. I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear airplanes flying overhead. I can still hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. Now, she and other plaintiffs have filed lawsuits for reparations uh, against the city of Tulsa because this was not just carried out by residents. This was not an angry mob. This was carried out by the Sheriff's Department, the National Guard, the Tulsa Police Department, and other leaders of the city and the county. This was state-sanctioned violence. Now, what Viola Fletcher also shows us is that time does not heal all wounds. In order for us to truly find wholeness and peace and growth, God requires not just time, but God requires reparations. Now, a hundred years after the incident, Viola Fletcher still has not found peace and comfort because time does not heal all wounds. Now, this concept is, is a profound one, and here's a, we're going to say it over and over and over again. God requires repayment for every offense. Now, as we're going to really see today, this is a thoroughly biblical concept, and um, man, this is a really bold statement, but the cross does not make sense unless we understand this concept of reparations. Now, check this out. If you were to read through the Bible, like just go somewhere for the next two weeks and read through the Bible, you would see page after page this concept jumping off at you that God requires repayment for every offense. And I was reading through the book of Exodus at, a, at our church, and um, so much of what you see even in the book of Exodus is shaped by this concept. Now, one thing that's really fascinating about the Old Testament and the New Testament is that like the New Testament gives you principles, but the Old Testament gives you stories and accounts and illustrations and brings these principles to life. In so many different ways, we have a left brain and we have a right brain. One side is for rules and, and logic. The other side is for imagination. I got D's in science, so I don't know which one is which. But I do know that we need both sides working in full cooperation. So we need the statement, we need the logic, but we also simultaneously need vivid imagery of why this thing matters so much and something to bring it to life. So I want to bring your attention to Exodus 3, where we're going to see the first um, uh, scripture we're going to be going through today about this concept of God requiring repayment for every single offense. Now, for those of you who um, haven't read the book of Exodus in a little while, let me catch you up uh, on the story. Uh, in Exodus, it begins with the enslavement 
of God's people. And God's people had been enslaved in, in Egypt for about 430 years. God comes to a man named Moses and tells Moses he is going to be the liberator for his people. And God himself, through miraculous works, is going to free his people. As God makes Moses these promises, here's what he says in Exodus 3, 21 through 22. It says this, And I will give these people, these people such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, when you are released, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. So you will plunder the Egyptians. Now, instead of just leaving Egypt with their freedom in rags and penniless, they would go forth as an army uh, that looked like a conquering army. So there's a couple of things I'd never noticed about this uh, until a couple of weeks ago when I was really reading this passage. When you had groups of people traveling throughout the wilderness, there would be some groups who looked like they just were on the run uh, in ragtag clothing, didn't really have anything for their own. But there would also be conquering armies who would be traveling from one place to another. And it would look like a conquering army if you had gold and, and precious metals and precious linen and all these different things and animals. And what God was telling his people is that when you go forward, in order for you to be the whole people that I want you to be, you're not going to just leave empty-handed. Even more interesting, if you were to fast forward to Exodus 25, you see God's instructions for his people to build something called a tabernacle. Now, a tabernacle was like a, a church that they were building where God's people can come and they could worship him. And in God's instructions for them to build a tabernacle, they had all of this gold and purple linen and all this fly stuff all over the place. And it never hit me until a couple of weeks ago, where did they get the gold and the, uh, the, all the woods and the fine linen? They got it from the Egyptians. God required that they not go empty-handed, but the offense of them being enslaved for 430 years necessitated repayment. They don't just leave on their own. They don't just get a pat on the back. You don't just say, peace, uh, I'll catch you later. They had to be sent out with the best so that they can find the wholeness that God wanted. Now, in order for us to get wholeness, God requires reparations. What are reparations? Reparations are at least three things. They are acknowledgement of wrongs done, payment for those wrongs done, which will eventually bring closure for both parties. They are acknowledgement for the wrongs done. We cannot get on the same page until we first acknowledge what happened. One of the grave injustices of right now, of this moment, is an attempt to sanitize the education that is happening in our country, to change the narrative, and we'll never get wholeness. We'll never get unity as a people without it like this. So number one, acknowledgement of wrongs done, payment for the wrongs done, and then eventual closure for both parties. But lest you believe that I am proof texting and I'm just finding a scripture in the Bible that supports what I want to say, I want to take y'all on a brief journey through a number of scriptures, and we really could spend 30 minutes just reading through different scriptures that all say the same thing about reparations. So Exodus 22, it says this, a thief must make full restitution. If a fire gets out of control, spreads to the thorn bushes, and consumes stacks of cut grain, standing grain, or a field, the one who started the fire must make full restitution for what was burned. When a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not there with it, the man must make full restitution 
In Numbers 5, 5 through 7, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, when a man or a woman commits any sin against another, that person acts unfaithfully toward the Lord and is guilty. The person is to confess the sin he has committed, acknowledgement. He is to pay the full compensation, add a fifth of its value to it, and give it to the individuals he has wronged. Leviticus 6, the Lord spoke to Moses, when someone sins and offends the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in regard to a deposit, a security, or a robbery, or defrauds his neighbor, or finds something lost and lies about it, or swears falsely about any of the sinful things a person may do, once he has sinned and acknowledged his guilt, he must return what he stole or defrauded, or the deposit entrusted to him, or the lost item he found, or anything else about which he swore falsely. He will make full restitution for it and add a fifth of its value to it. Now, this is a thoroughly biblical concept that over and over and over again, and again, I just took a very brief selection of a number of scriptures. Uh, but this theme of reparations is what shaped Jesus' life, his teachings, and his ministry. This theme is what shaped how people interacted with Jesus. In Luke 19, 8 through 10, there's a famous passage of scripture about a man named Zacchaeus. Now, quick story about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and if you've been to church for a little bit, you know what a tax collector is and does, but they were the most hated people in society. Uh, they stole from their own people and then gave it to the Roman government, and they were notorious for taking more and patting their own pockets. But here's the dope thing about, that I learned about tax collectors this week. Like, they were not, they were benefiting from a corrupt system that was set up before them. All they did was slide into a corrupt system, and that's all it took for them to pad their pockets. So this hated man, this tax collector, hears that Jesus is coming into town. Jesus invites himself into this man's house, which is a whole other sermon altogether about what it looks like for grace to invite himself into your home. The Pharisees and the tax collectors are furious. I mean, the Pharisees are furious about Jesus having something to do with this, this tax collector. And uh, as it says in verse 8 of Luke 19, it says, But Zacchaeus stood there and said, Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. What is Jesus' response to him? Nah, bro, you good. You don't have to do none of that. I'm coming to clear it all through the cross. Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. When Zacchaeus told Jesus of his conviction and his plans to repay for his offenses, Jesus tells this man that today deliverance, salvation, rescue has come to this house. Now Jesus responds to him so emphatically because of this. God requires repayment for every single offense. Now, last weekend, we celebrated in America Juneteenth weekend. They made it finally a, a federal holiday. And as I was thinking the last couple of weeks about all that was stolen from African-American people in this country, when I think about the supposed ideals of this nation to be a Christian nation, I'm left wanting the type of wholeness that the Bible demands, an acknowledgement for wrongs, Repayment for wrongs, and then, and only then, will we have closure for both parties. It's interesting, talking to Rasul earlier, uh, America actually does have a history of paying reparations, just not to people who were formerly enslaved. 
As a matter of fact, America has paid reparations for slavery. They actually just paid it to uh, former slave owners in the South during the Reconstruction Act. So American tax dollars have gone towards the reparation of, reparations for slavery already. They've just gone to the people who've lost their formerly enslaved people. Now, this is not just a, a history book lesson for me. I was talking to my dad the last couple of weeks about my grandmother. And uh, my grandmother grew up right outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and she was uh, a sharecropper. As a kid, I never really fully understood uh, all that that meant, but I remember a couple of things very vividly. Uh, number one, grandma could burn, y'all. Like, she was the best cook in the entire family. She would come to stay with us from Buffalo, um, and she would bring her own iron cast skillet. And when somebody bring their own skillet, you know they about to throw it down. And she could really cook. First time I ever had fried green tomatoes. They are absolutely delicious. Her fried chicken is out of this world. And um, I never even understood, like, how she got from Memphis uh, to Buffalo. And later, having read um, Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons and realizing the flight that so many people, like my grandmother, took from the Jim Crow South to the North just to get jobs and to get away from sharecropping, it all started to make sense. And I was asking my father, like, Pop, like, was this grandma's experience? It's really interesting that my grandmother, she, um, whenever she would come to our house, she would help us, like, fix clothing, and she would sew stuff. But she never needed a thimble on her thumb because of all of the calluses on her fingers from picking cotton. For decades, she picked cotton in the fields in Tennessee. And at the end of the year, she would get a dollar. She would work for an entire year, from sunup to sundown, picking cotton, not being able to go to school, just to have a semblance of something to put food on the table for herself and her family. And at the end of the year, she would get a dollar. When I think about what was stolen from my family, uh, I was actually going down memory lane, and I was thinking about this, and I got so mad. I got so mad thinking about it. When my grandmother would give me and my brother Christmas cards, her handwriting is probably best described just like my six-year-old's handwriting. Like barely able to write her own name to sign anything because she never went to school. She wasn't allowed to go to school. She had to work sharecropping for a dollar a year. Now at the end of all of that, for decades working sharecropping, Think about all the generational wealth which was accumulated on her back. What are we to say to that? My bad? Let's live and let's keep it pushing? Let's get over it? What about all the thievery? Scripture says a thief must make full restitution. Now, I don't have a degree in economics or social, I'm not a social scientist. So I do not know the specific policies which need to be enacted in the present day in order to make reparations a physical reality, although I do absolutely believe they should be a physical reality. But I also don't want to leave you guys hanging uh, with this nagging sense of what do we do. So I'm very grateful for very smart people, friends of mine, uh, my brother Duke Kwan. Uh, he's written a book uh, called Reparations, and uh, he takes a much deeper dive into 
what it looks like practically and lays out a more thorough case about who should get it, how should it go out and all of that. And my case for reparations today is all about liability. Uh, in any trial, especially a civil trial, there are two aspects of the trial. There's liability and then there's judgment. So first, the, 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 the judge and the jury have to first determine whether or not the defendant is liable. And then after that, there's a separate, smaller, shorter trial on damages. Uh, this case today is the case for liability. And when I think about all that was taken from people in this country, the supposed Christian nation, we are left wanting. And the wholeness that God, a holy and perfect God, requires and demands is a repayment for every single offense. In America, there are too many offenses to name. And if we're going to be honest about what it looks like to actually build unity in this country, my proposal and my vote is let's do it God's way. But now, I promise you all spiritual components for today. This is not me standing on my soapbox. Um, I made a big claim up front that I hope to back up right now that you cannot understand Jesus and the cross unless you understand this concept of reparations. In order for there to be wholeness in your relationship with God, there, need to be, there needs to be an acknowledgement for the wrongs done, payment for those wrongs done, and then and only then will there be closure for you and God. Now, one of the most sobering things about God is a scripture that I've read a number of times in the Bible is this. It's that God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism, meaning that God applies this standard to everybody. God applies this standard to you. God applies this standard to you. God applies this standard to me. God requires repayment for every single offense, and he would not be just if he just arbitrarily applied it. Now, what leaves us lacking is that so many of us don't understand why Jesus had to die. Now, I'll admit, even in some of my own preaching, I have talked so much about the love of God that, sent, that, um, that held Jesus to the cross. I remember the old sermon by the old black preacher that said, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for me and his love for you. But that doesn't answer the part of the question, which is, what sent him to the cross? It was the repayment on my sins that needed to be done because a just and a holy God demands, requires repayment for every single offense. So the beginning of right standing with God begins with an acknowledgement of the wrongs being done. And these wrongs are many. Uh, but essentially, if you were to try to understand it, I think one of the best ways is to understand it like this. Sometimes in New York City, we're aware of the laws that exist. And whether or not you are aware of them or not, to violate them makes you guilty. And to have guilt hanging over you requires a payment. So my cousin came up from North Carolina a couple years ago, and he does like every Southerner does when they're driving in New York City. He pulled to the intersection on the right lane. Uh, he pulled in the section to make a right, and then he put on his blinker and started making a right into the intersection. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't make a right on red. He was like, where? I was like, nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere, 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 especially in Manhattan. And he was like, uh, seriously? I was like, yeah. He said, well, what would happen if I uh, did that? I said, well, you would get a nice fat ticket that I certainly cannot afford. Now, essentially, with this, what's going on is we are under a government. And this government has rules and laws. To violate those rules and laws, whether or not you agree with them, makes you liable and you would have to repay them. Now, one of the biggest challenges for so many people in our day, in our context, in our culture is 
Words like sin and sinner, those are very difficult for some people to swallow. And some people like really recoil at the concept that they are a sinner or that they have done anything that requires repayment because in most cases, you just kind of compare yourself to other people. And if you're better than them, then you're like, well, clearly I'm not doing anything that bad that requires repayment. Bro, you're going a little hard. Like it's not that, it's not that serious. And I think fundamentally, all of us are bothered by the concept of having to pay for something that we didn't do, right? So years and years ago, probably 20 years ago now, um, I, more than that, I was actually a senior in high school, and my parents were going away for the weekend. And my wife and I were laughing because we had very different childhoods. She grew up compliant. So her mother would work late, and she would leave... Uh, she would leave my, my wife home, and she would just take the chicken pot pie to the kitchen, put it in the microwave, and then watch TV shows, and that would be that. When my parents were not home, we were having fun. So one day, my parents were going away for the weekend, and this is before Nest Cams and all this other stuff that, that they got going on today. My kids will never do any of the things that I had the chance to do because I'm tracking their every single move, <laughs> and until they leave my house, they're not going to be able to do anything. Um, but my, this was decades before that. Uh, so a couple of things for all of my Gen Z and my younger millennials. I've found out that I'm a geriatric millennial, so there's a couple of terms in here that I'm going to need to describe to you today. So my parents went away for the weekend. I was supposed to stay at my boy's house down the block. Everything was uh, situated. I decided that we were going to have just a couple of friends over. What could go wrong, Right. So I invited a couple people over, and they invited a couple people over, and they invited a couple people over. Before I knew it, there was like 40 people in my house. Now, Gen Z, put your seat, Gen Zers, put your seatbelts on for this one. Um, we would beat people, beep, B-E-E-P. We would beat people to like connect with people, right? So there was no cell phones. You had to beep someone, and then you would put the return number on the phone. Y'all know about beepers? It's not just for doctors and drug dealers. All right, so... My boys were all beeping people. So people were picking up the phone at my parents' house because they were expecting it to be someone that they had just beeped. My parents were also calling home to check their answering machine. Y'all remember that? So in order to check your messages to see if someone called, you would call your own house, dial nine or whatever, put in a little password, and then you would be able to hear your own answering machine, except... My parents called when, at a time when they thought, my boys thought that someone who they had just beeped was calling, and my mother's on the phone with one of my degenerate friends. Um, and I'll never forget being uh, upstairs, having the time of my life. My boy walks up like, yo, bro, your mom's is on the phone. <laughs> yes, party, uh, the party went downhill from there. And um, my mother said, yo, listen, you got five minutes to get to your friend's house. Five minutes to get to your friend's house, and you better be there. So then I kicked everybody out the house, but then I had to give, uh, we had to give some people a ride, some girls that we invited to, to my party, uh, a ride home. So I tossed my, my boy the keys to my mother's car. What can go wrong, right? I tossed my boy the keys to my mother's car and said, hey, get them home, close the door, run out the house to go to my friend's house because she was going to call in five minutes, which she actually did. And then I raced to the house, realized I locked myself out of my house. So get to the house, pick up the phone from my mother, pretend like I'm going to sleep, run back to the house, break through the window, uh, get in the house, start the cleanup process, and exhaled. Like, you know what? I think we can get away from this. 
Then finally, I see my friend coming up the driveway, and I'm like, oh, he's going a little fast, but that's all good, you know what I'm saying? Like, woo, we did it, we made it. And then the garage opens, and I see him veering like closer and closer to the garage. I'm like, ah, uh, I wouldn't have taken that route to the garage, but he's a good driver. And then I hear the worst sound that I've ever heard. I hear the garage scraping up against the car. Yes. And then he pulls out, and then I look at the car, and I see this huge scratch all up and down the passenger side of my mother's Mercedes-Benz, by the way. Um, yes, it's, it's that bad. it was that bad. I just told my parents this story three weeks ago in preparation for uh, preaching this sermon. And listen, I had to like make up so many different stories because I kept on thinking to myself, what you did of having 40 people in your, in your parents' house giving her keys, your parents' keys to some dude to drive around, like that's terrible. So we're just going to keep the lie going, right? And I told my parents that it was me who crashed the car. And for decades, like up until like two months ago, my dad would still be like, no, no, leave the car in the driveway. I'll pull it in. You don't need to touch it. Um, <laughs> and I had to pay like $1,000 to get this, these doors fixed. And it is like a really crazy feeling to pay for something that you didn't do. Like, it just, is a, it just messes with you when you're labeled as something that you know you're not. Like, to be labeled as somebody who can't drive, who can't come to the drive, I'm like, bro, I could do that easily. And for decades, I had to carry this weight, and this is very cathartic and helpful. I'm, like, getting this weight off. But it is extremely nauseating to be labeled as something that, for something that you didn't do or to have to pay for an offense that you didn't do. But when the Bible calls you a sinner, when the Bible says that for all have fallen short of God's grace, it's not saying that you, have, you are being labeled as something that you didn't do. And here's how I know I can prove it to you. If you were to write your own Ten Commandments, you don't even do those. You don't do your own. The ways that you say that you should live, you don't do that. Now let's consider the gap between you and a holy and righteous and perfect God. Do you think you meet all of God's requirements? Of course not. And there would be a great deal of humility and help for us if we were to approach God with a real seriousness, not a self-loathe, but a real seriousness in acknowledging the wrongs that we have committed, trusting, like it says in 1 John, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it first begins with us acknowledging our sins. Psalm 139 and 23 David says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the everlasting way. So number one, it's an acknowledgement of our wrongs done. Number two, and this is where the cross comes in, God requires repayment for every offense. The God who shows no partiality requires repayment for our sins. Now, this is because sin creates debt. When I first moved into uh, my neighborhood uh, about nine years ago, um, like you need either a PhD in statistics or you need to have lived in a neighborhood for a long time to understand how the street parking and the street sweeper <laughs> now exists. Uh, COVID has unleashed untold tragedies in this city, in this world, none of which are worth uh, joking about at all. There are, have been a couple of positives that have come out of this season. Number one is they have reduced the amount of days 
that you need to alternate, have alternate street parking in my neighborhood from four to two. So praise God for that. Uh, but I'll never forget when I first moved into the neighborhood, um, like I didn't know what side of the street I was on. And this was before I had kids. So I would do something called sleeping in, right? I would wake up and I would lay there. And that's it. I didn't have a three-year-old screaming at me to put thick and fluffy waffles in the toaster. Life was grand, and I was laying in bed, and then I heard this dreaded noise of a street sweeper going by, and I was like, yo, am I on the Monday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Friday side, and what day is today? I jumped out only to find this beautiful, brilliant neon orange ticket on my windshield because of my sin, my error, my missing the mark created a debt. Now, that ticket was $45 that I could pay, but what happens when you have a debt that you can't pay and that there is a holy God that you have to stand in front of? What then? This is why we have the cross. This is why the cross is so valuable. This is why Paul says, I will boast in the cross, not in myself. I'll boast in the cross and what Jesus did on our behalf. And this is the essence of Christianity. Jesus says it like this in Mark 10 and 45. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a payment for many. Paul says it like this in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. God is righteous because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that, get this piece right here, he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. So that God will be just, not looking over sin, but also justify us, make us right through faith in Jesus. Now, this is a major theme all throughout Scripture, that the justice and righteousness of God. God does not redeem us in some arbitrary and haphazard way, but in a way that both accords with his righteousness and his love. The cross brings home both the seriousness of sin and the power and the purpose of God to engage with it and eventually to destroy it. Thankfully, in the cross, we see real forgiveness of sins, our sins. The initiative is from God, but the response is from us. Now, so many Christians that I know for sure, and myself as well, I struggle with this. I stop at, I stop at that. But in order for us to truly have wholeness in our relationship with God, we need not just acknowledgement of sin, not just payment for the sin, but we actually do need closure so that you're not rehearsing the sins that you did over and over and over again as if those things were not paid for by Jesus on the cross. Now, the goal of Jesus in our life is to get reconciliation between us and God. And the gospel is good news. And they call it good news because it's meant to feel good. It's meant to actually be good news in your life. It's not good advice. It's not a good, this is what you need to do. It is the, it is finished, to tell us die. this is what God has done on the cross, and nothing else is required beyond that. Now you can have wholeness and uh, real true reconciliation and rightness, restoration of a harmonious relationship with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The good news of Jesus is that it is finished. Now, years ago, on our anniversary, me, my wife and our anniversary, we went to a restaurant called Blue Hill at Stone Barns. And this is one of those restaurants 
that like it takes like months to get a reservation. So you wait up until like midnight to go to like some website that's gonna crash more than a sneakers app just so you can like hope to like get a reservation to give them an insane amount of money. Uh, but we figured, hey, let's, let's splurge a little bit and celebrate our anniversary. And this was like one of these tasting menus. It was one of the best restaurants I've ever I've been to, certainly the best meal I've ever had. And it was profound because like when they would, like when you sat at the table, there was no salt and pepper. There was no A1 sauce for the steak. There was no ketchup. There was none of that. It was just an empty table. The rationale behind that is when the chef would bring out the food, they knew that it was so perfect that you shouldn't add anything to it. As a matter of fact, if you tried to add something to it, you would actually subtract from it. The same thing is true with Jesus. When he says it is finished, he's saying what I have given you is so perfect that if you try to add anything to it, you're going to be subtracting from it. You're going to be putting A1 on a dry age, 45-day ribeye. You don't do that. When Jesus said it is finished, it's so that you and I can have peace and rest and actually absorb and feel and have the closure that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was enough. And we don't need to add in 15 minutes of Bible reading, although Bible reading is good and perfect for us to help us grow in our faith. We don't need a perfect prayer life to add on to it so that we feel better about ourselves, but rather just to rest in the finished work of Christ. So as we honestly acknowledge our sins, as we boldly trust in the goodness of the cross, let us find the closure that our soul and our heart longs for. And let us pray for the closure for, Victor, uh, for uh, Victoria Fletcher that she and others may have one day in this country, that we may reflect it all. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, uh, you, know, you know our hearts. You know where we fall short. You know what we struggle to believe. God, you know where we beat ourselves up. You know where we devalue the cross. Father, I pray for a freedom that would live in our lives, a peace, a rest that would live in our hearts and minds, not because of us, but because of you, Jesus, and what you have done on the cross. May we see that as something that was done for us, fully and finally, taking away any payment that needs to be made on our, on our behalf. May we see that our record has been made clear. And may our response be worship. In Jesus, let me pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.